The Three Down Greencast is brought to you by the Pile of Bones Brewing Company. Home delivery now available in Regina at sassbeardelivery.ca. Welcome to the Three Down Greencast. You are listening to the internet's only support your local brewers podcast. I am, of course, Joel Gasson with John Fraser. And usually um, we like to talk about something a little different off the top of this show. Mm -hmm. Um, We do have some important topics to get into today. Specifically, we're going to talk about kind of, again, the financials of the league and sort of the ongoing conversation, the never-ending conversation that is going on right now when it comes to the seat between the CFL and the XFL and what it may or may not mean. But I think more importantly, sort of in that you know window was the report from TSN's Dave Naylor, which we'll talk about a little bit too in some other contexts, about um, a proposal that has been put forward for the CFLPA to return to play this year, which is something we did not see last year at all. Yep. So yep. that alone should be taken as a positive thing. But there are some caveats to that, so we'll have to see where that goes. And we're also going to talk a little bit about uh, the Tim Peel firing in the NHL, not so much in a hockey context, but a little bit in a hockey context, but more so just officiating sports in general and, you know, kind of the makeup call and just general sort of thoughts on how officiating should work in sports versus maybe in some cases how it ends up working rather than which should be the basic job, which is just following the rules and enforcing the rules as they are written. Right. Right, and it's funny because much like when we do our annual curling episode, Mm -hmm. this is one of the times I actually get to speak from a position where I know what the hell I'm talking about. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And I think you know a little bit about what we're going to open the show a little bit first. We're just going to get right basically into the beer talk that we like to do on this podcast because today um, some guy, Greg, Charles, George, I don't know, whatever his name was, doesn't matter. This... Uh, can I can, can I uh, echo our friend Mark and just say some asshole? Can yeah. I go with that? that okay, works I'm going to say some pretentious asshole on Twitter. Now yeah. go on, Joel. I I will I will be the mean one here, even though I'm the one with the job with the social media policy. Whatever, Justin, if you're listening, don't tell our boss. I basically just didn't want to give this guy any kind of airtime in terms of credit for what his actual name is that's really all i was getting at there so we, we just call him the the asshole yeah i'll just call perfect. him a different i'll just call him a different name every time perfect um, I like it. yeah so he's not too happy that there's uh now a quasi lockdown slowdown shutdown whatever you want to call it going on in regina now because variants of concern have exploded we're not going to get into the merits of this and that whole thing um, you can follow me on Twitter, and you're pretty sure you should know where I land at this point, so I don't need to waste any time on this podcast talking about it. Right. But regardless, right. We are, um, we're generally wear a mask, listen, be well to each other. That's kind of where we are, and if you disagree with that, you're right to, but you're wrong. Yeah, and stay the blazes home. And anyway, so this guy, Paul, whatever his name is, I don't know, decided that... Um, because one Mark Heisey of uh, Rebellion Brewing disagreed with him in terms of uh, public policy when it comes to keeping the people of Regina and the people, ultimately people of Saskatchewan safe, because mm-hmm. um, this thing is not contained to Regina. It is going to spread somewhere, whether you like mm-hmm. it or not. Um, a man who has probably at some point in his life cried crocodile tears about cr- cancel culture. More than likely, yes. More than likely. I don't really care to go through his feed to find out whether um, Ken has or not. And instead, instead, this man decided to um, basically try to get his friends to 
go after Mark and Rebellion and say if you, uh, you know, if you drink this beer, it means you're in support of lockdowns and school closures and the whole thing. And in a roundabout way, I guess, okay, so if we support Mark, we support strong public health measures to keep people safe. Right on. And then, so what ended up happening was a bunch of people then rallied around Mark naturally. And uh, Rebellion's kind of been the story of the evening here on Twitter mm-hmm. on a uh, Wednesday night, March 24th. And what probably what he thought was going to be some great own the libs moment uh, ended up probably being a nice little sales day for the next day or two for Rebellion. So, uh... oh boy, yes, yes. I'm getting all sorts of texts uh, <laughs> from people who don't normally drink craft beer that are like, okay, what would I find most palatable? I'm not a craft beer guy. What would I like the most? Because I'm going to go buy some of this ish. Yeah, so congratulations to... I'm Roy? Running, I'm running our names. I don't know. Let's go with Roy. Roy. Good job, Roy. Way to go. You Roll. really own Roll. the libs with that one yeah, there, Yeah, you Roy. own the libs oh, by... Show them! Own the libs by making Mark sales go up! <laughs> yeah. Yes, I get it. And the thing I loved when he's like, your restaurant shouldn't go ahead and have it. You know, I don't... The first I reply generally... now, the first reply, maybe it's because I follow them. The first reply is from the Lancaster here in Regina, another yep. great local restaurant establishment. Uh, they said, hey, we're a restaurant and we love Mark. <laughs> right. I mean, who doesn't? Any, the, I honestly judge the quality of a place here in Saskatchewan that has a fantastic craft beer. Like, we talk about all of them all the time. I mean, mm-hmm. you and I kind of have our fallbacks and our staples, but like... The first thing I do now, and this reminds me of going to to BC a couple times, Victoria, you know, what was a craft beer mecca. Mm -hmm. When you walk in, I know it's a good place when I go, what do you have that's local? And they're like, oh, we have Pile of Bones and Rebellion and Blackbridge and Nokomis and Nine Mile. And you're like, yes, this this will do. This will do nicely. The key is not not always necessarily volume, but the key is when you go to a place and you ask what's local – and the servers or the bartenders actually know which ones are local and which aren't. Right, right. Or even just having them available. I mean, yep. like, and I think any locally owned joint generally kind of has that. Like anywhere I've gone in Saskatoon that's that's not franchise owned, or if they are, they're a franchise with independent ownership, they have tons of variety. So, yeah, I don't think because you said it there, Mr. Probably drinks Coors Light and only fucks in the missionary position while you cry a little bit. Um, was that too far? That might have been too far. Doesn't matter. Anyways, um, I don't think anybody's going to stop drinking your kokanee and uh, a boycott mark. And if you do, great. I don't want none of you jerk faces around while I'm drinking my fine local spirits. Absolutely. So, in honor of Mark Heisey and uh, all of the good local businesses that are making sure, and have actually some of which have pushed for stronger measures long yes. before the government of Saskatchewan implemented them in Regina and potentially elsewhere as well, we're going to raise a glass to all y'all tonight. So, uh, John, in that regard, what is in the glass this evening? Well, in the glass this evening, uh, this is the one I've been saying to my friends uh, that uh, aren't big craft beer people. It's uh, get yourself some beer by Rebellion. Mm-hmm. Uh it tastes like beer. <laughs> I, I know that's goofy to say. <laughs> it literally it, says that right on the can. So, I mean, what else can you say? It is beer that tastes like beer. Uh, a really nice uh, German-style Kolsch. Uh, light, easy to drink, good taste. Not that 
artificially preservative-y taste uh, brewed locally. Even the set I have, uh, the cans I have, I love that with Rebellion, you has got the little white sticker. You can see these were canned no more than two weeks ago and up to me here in Saskatoon and now going into my face hole. So um, I wanted to give it a try. I saw it at sale at my local liquor store, my probably new favorite liquor store, because when I went to, to, to check out, normally you just get the, how's your day? Up your well, stay safe. I walked up and this guy, I wish I would have got his name, at Urban Cellars in Market Mall, was like, hey, have you tried other Rebellion products? And I'm like, yeah, they're awesome. So is Pile of Bones. The White IPA is basically my go-to. And if my dog wasn't sitting in my in my new car, I probably would have sat there and talked craft beer with him. So if you are not a craft beer person per se and you want to support the cause, get behind local ingredients made by uh, local people, all Saskatchewan 100%, get yourself some beer. Yeah, and uh, if you're one of those people who likes to buy in volume, those beer is also available in 12 packs. So that's I did I did see that. Yes, and I almost went for that, but I had to make sure. You know, the, the stupid thing is, I should have just bought the 12 pack. Oh, you're gonna drink it's... like all four of those tonight, probably. Uh, I'm already starting number two. Yes. Yeah. Um, that's what I thought I heard in the background, so that's why I said it. <laughs> exactly what you heard, and it's only 4.8 percent. So we're there. We go. I won't be hungover for a second day in a row at work. Uh, for me, I am going on the opposite end of beer that does not taste like quote-unquote beer. Because <laughs> I'm going to be honest, I was going to drink beer, and then I saw um, you post on Twitter that you had some, so I assumed that that's where you were going to go. So I went in the opposite direction of that. And uh, last weekend, I picked up a four-pack of the Majestic Milkshake IPA. Ooh, yes! Yes, this is, a, I believe, a start of a new series. Like, they had the Solo Crush series for a while, and now... Right. If I read between the lines and some stuff Marcus said online, this is the start of a new series where it's going to be a series of milkshake IPAs with different sort of fruits in it. Uh, this one is passion fruit. It's uh, very fruity, very delicious. And if you're not super into IPAs, this is a really good sort of entry level along like the white IPA for that because it's not very hoppy at all. I know some people that do not like IPAs, most notably uh, Riders Communications wizard Ariel Zur is right. noted disliker of IPAs and I saw that she loved this beer and so I was I was proud of her for finally liking an IPA number one and so yeah if, if that's if IPAs aren't your jam this might be the entryway for you because it's got a little bit of lactose in it calm it down a little bit it's got some fruit so and the smell of it is just ridiculously good I poured it out when I got into the office bedroom here and yep. it just like the smell just filled the room Ooh. and for me if I noticed that that's crazy because I don't talk about smells of beers a whole lot because, quite frankly, my sense of smell sucks. So if I ever got COVID, I probably wouldn't notice much of a difference in that. Um, it is one good thing about hanging out with you is you can just grease one with you in the room and you rarely notice. It's fantastic. No, I, I don't. I really don't notice all that often. <laughs> well, yeah, we've we've been together on some pretty hungover mornings and I have let some pretty bad ones rip. And you're just like, hey, give me another beer. Okay. Yeah. So on that note, yeah, if you like uh, that, the Majestic IPA, definitely uh, another one to grab if you're someone who is a little more adventurous than drinking beer that tastes like beer. Right. So what I, and I've been meaning to ask you this over mm -hmm. text, so I'll just do it now. What makes it a milkshake IPA? Is it just the lactose taking yeah. the, the edge of the hops off? Is that what it is? Yeah. So it's just uh, there's a little bit of lactose in it. Yeah. So basically it just it makes it a little creamier than you would normally get from like a standard hazy IPA or a New England right. IPA. So it's it's like you basically take the base of a hazy or a New England 
And just add a little bit of lactose to it just to smooth it out a bit. Right, right. So you kind of get more of a, uh, like you're drinking an amber or something kind of sensation. Yeah, maybe. Like anything else, like there's other beers that have lactose in it, like a, like a milk stout or, right. you know, different things like that that may have some lactose in it. You kind of get a little bit of that in with this beer as well. So it just kind of, it just kind of rounds it out a little nicer, I guess you could say. And as somebody who has some issues with lactose intolerance, I should definitely only drink those while in a room with you. Yes, maybe. Like, I don't know how much is in it. I don't know. Like, I, I know Matt, their social media guy, is, like, really bad lactose intolerance, so he doesn't drink, like, any of their lactose beers. Right. But, I mean, I guess it depends. Like, you've had some beer. Like, I'm pretty sure the cold brew Americano has some lactose in it, and I don't know how much of an effect that had on you. Uh, I was also shit-faced for four days, so <laughs> I, I don't think I would have noticed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, inventing broom losing speed. So, uh, yeah, you know what? I'll give it a try, and uh, I'll let you know how the the tummy roll. Oh, speaking of that, yeah, maybe as well, if you can find like a single can somewhere, maybe that'd be a good place for you to start, just to make sure. <laughs> uh, no, I'm I'm a fly by night kind of guy. Like I, uh, fair warning, I know normally you don't edit, and I don't like to make you edit. Mm-hmm. But Lacey got the boys ice cream tonight, and I had some. So if there is a sudden disappearance, it is not the Skype call dropping; it's me dropping. Okay, good to know. Good to know. <laughs> all true so speaking of dropping uh some news dropped recently in uh, cfl circles that has everyone including a lot of the players talking recently and that was a report from one tsn's dave naylor who's been in the news a lot recently um discussing that there is a proposal in front of the cflpa right now for a return to play policy for the cfl which off the bat is instantly miles ahead of where we were last year and shows how completely unserious this league was about playing games last year. Right. Because such a thing never existed. No. Which should have been more obvious in retrospect, I guess. Right. Um, but yeah, so now this is in front of them. And so that's good news on its own. Taken just as that, that's good news. Mm-hmm. But on the other side of it, uh, they've decided to open. And some tweets from Dave Naylor today have me worried that I don't know how much is open for negotiation here with the league, but you would hope there is some because basically if they open the season with no fans, which I think there's a lot of questions about whether the league is willing to open with no fans or not. Right. But I guess if they're willing to float this out to the players, if you take a 20% pay cut, we will play with no fans that I guess there's a possibility that could happen. We'll have to wait and see. And we'll have to wait and see whether they even have to open the season with no fans at all. It, it all depends kind of on how things go for the next little bit. And we can't really predict how that's going to go one way or the other, as we know, based on what's happened here in Regina in the last three weeks. It can so, change in, in a day, in a week, uh, never mind, you know, months down the road. Exactly. So anything can and could still happen. Um, but yeah, so my first thought when that broke, when that news sort of came out was, really? We're going after the players again? Because... <laughs> And, 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 and I'm not and I'm not saying that there maybe shouldn't be something, some kind of like escrow system or something set up. I have some kind of weird pie in the sky idea that I think might be of some interest to everyone involved if they want to do this. But ultimately, I'm like, okay. And this is where I'm at with this, where we're talking about asking the players to take a 20% pay cut. Now, hopefully that number is negotiable. And right. it can come down. And if it comes down to a reasonable amount, okay. But the fact remains that a large percentage of players, I don't know exactly how many, and maybe you changed the writing on this to include only players that were current, that didn't have their contracts renegotiated or signed new deals right. for less. I don't know, maybe. But 
a large chunk of this league already either renegotiated contracts to receive less money than they did last time to play it in 2019, or they signed as free agents for less money than they made in 2019, or were expected to make in 2020. Right. And now here we are just a few weeks later again, with the league saying, hey, if you want to play, you're going to have to take another 20% off that, after we had already basically decided every team's going to spend roughly to the salary cap floor to begin with. Rather than, you know, colluding altogether, right. Yeah, except for maybe the Argos, and apparently the, Esk- the Edmonton football team Maybe right. some cap trouble as well, according to people around the league. Right. And so my first thought was like, come on. We, we've, we've all seen the numbers. We know TSN pays a good chunk of the salary cap every year. And I understand there are other expenses around the league. And other oh, teams. and I will get into that in a moment. I've done math this week, Joel. I understand you have. But like, and I understand that maybe these are conversations that have to be have. But maybe don't come right after the players right away. Maybe right. make a big show, and if stuff has been done behind the scenes to, you know, reel in costs elsewhere, maybe make that publicly known before coming after the players for more money. Because as far as I'm concerned, the players have already done their part for the last number of weeks, making sure that there is more money available to make sure that this league gets on the field. Instead, right. it's, no, you're, you need to take another 20% off if we're going to play. Right. You're absolutely correct with that, Joel. And, and... I think the players are the ones wearing it a bit. Now, I don't remember where I read this. I should have wrote this down uh, because I do actually have notes for this episode. I have done oh. some research on numbers and stuff. I, me being a numbers nerd and so on and so forth. Um, I do believe I read some place that said that the 20% pay cut came with an asterisk. Okay. Basically saying that when we don't have fans in the stands, your game day checks will be 20% less if you agree to this. Yes, yeah, so there's basically a sliding scale. What that scale is at certain capacity numbers, we don't know at this well, point. Uh, but but, well, but essentially, as capacity goes up, that number of 20% goes down. Right, and, and, and essentially what they're doing is, in the National Cross League, players in the playoffs are paid a percentage of gate revenues. Mm-hmm. That's almost what they're kind of doing here, saying that if we have nobody in here, um, we need you to take the we need you to wear the twenty percent. If we're at fifty percent capacity, ten, blah blah blah. But, the, but and I understand that. But all of this should have been laid out before free agency began. Oh, absolutely, it should have. And and I agree with you that the teams and really the league needed to do a better job. Now the league did essentially cut costs by laying off just about everybody. Well, and, and like League HQ money is frankly not that big of a deal in the grand scheme of things. No. But because these are nine franchises operated differently and whether the league is successful or not is based on whether those teams make money or break even not kind of what goes on at HQ. Right, exactly. And it's just, it's it's funny though, and, and you mentioned that, it's funny to see the league come out and say, yeah, we've had to make tough decisions. We've had to lay off people. By the way, we need a 20% cut. The league themselves can back it up and say, yeah, hey, we basically gutted our ability to make product. So now we need you to take one for the team because you're the other product. While the teams have done nothing. Oh, that's entirely fair. Like some, there has definitely been layoffs at teams. There's definitely been salary rollbacks at teams. But I, I think before asking for the players for more, there are certain earners, higher earners within organizations that need to show good faith and publicly come forward and say, hey, we've taken this much of a reduction this year to make sure that our teams are playing this year. 
Right, and, and, and in researching this and in researching uh, our boy, John Hodge, I feel like now that we have two Hodges, I have to differentiate between the Hodges. Well, um, I, I think in the context of this podcast, for now at least, Hodge is John Hodge, because unless we're specifically talking about curling. Right, which we may be doing more of in the future in a partnership with other Hodge. But regardless, that's way down the, that's when the season starts. Um, looking at the numbers... There's one number to me, and I've seen a lot of talk about it on Twitter, and I'm surprised that nobody has drawn their eyes to this. And maybe this is my my tinfoil hat, but when you look through the financials last year of the three publicly traded teams or that are publicly available, you see some trends. You see each team spends about $1.5 million on sponsorship. So you have to assume... That's probably your sponsorship sales staff. That's probably that. Same with ticket revenue. Uh, you know, Winnipeg, Edmonton, the riders, all between like 900000 and $1.4 million. So if you actually do the math, that number is not the one that sticks out to me because that's about 8% of the revenue, which is a fairly fair, conservative, you know, rate of pay. You're taking 8% of your total revenue in your tickets and you're giving it to your salespeople. You're giving it to your customer support staff. Okay, that makes sense. The one that boggles my mind, if you look at the numbers. Now, remember, the salary cap floor is $4 million-ish. The Saskatchewan Rough Riders last year spent $4 million on administration. If you go to the Riders' website, there's about 20 people that you could possibly count in administration, including team president Craig Reynolds. The Edmonton Eskimos, around $3 million. The Edmonton football team. Ah, oh, crap, we've both done it tonight. I caught myself before I finished it. <laughs> you, you, you did. I, I didn't. I'm too busy reading notes and, like, actually using my brain for once rather than just drinking and ranting. Um, so the Edmonton football team, about $3 million in administration while still having football expenses, game day expenses. So my first thought was, okay, who's in administration? Is it is it your concessions? Is it your... Uh, your game day ops staff, is it the guy that fires the t-shirt cannon? But those are all separately attributed in all these other lines, right? Marketing's a big cost, but but you and I, and I think anybody will agree, you need to spend the money on marketing, especially in your busy markets. Now, yes. Winnipeg ties all this number together into sponsorship, which is about an 8% commission rate, marketing, which is between 2 and $3 million per team, and administration. So let's roughly say that's between 2 and $3 million. Well, holy crap, you're either, either you and I are in the wrong business and we need to get an administration job with a football team. I mean, I think we can all agree we're probably all in the wrong business, regardless, but we're going. <laughs> I got it pretty good now. I'm, I'm, I'm okay with, you know, being a sleazy finance manager. That's not actually sleazy. Come see me at Enz Toyota. Um, the thing that blows me away, these have small administration staffs. The numbers there... Just don't just don't make sense. How on earth can you pay twenty people four million dollars? Now I have a secret for you, Joel. This is a secret I have alluded to in the past, but tonight the secret names come out. Let me take a drink. That's good beer. Okay. What I think is happening, and I know this for a fact, there are several CFL player contracts with kickbacks, with wink wink nudge nudges in there. I can speak of one that I know of for a rider's offensive lineman that lives near Regina and has been born and raised near Regina that when he signed with the riders on paper, he signed for less money than he originally was paid in Winnipeg. 
but also was given a hotel allowance because he wanted to live in his hometown, was given a truck because he wanted to commute from his hometown, and other wink-wink nudge-nudges. That doesn't show up under football ops because then you'd get busted. You'd be in salary cap violation. Every team does it. Remember, yes, remember to be clear, every team does this. This is not this, this is not, not unique to an eighty one franchise. No, absolutely. I, it's just this one franchise. I know this within one degree of separation. I played hockey with this guy's brother in law, so I knew this I knew the story. I knew it all. Remember the old Cavis Reed envelope money? Mm-hmm. Where did that come from? I think what the league needs to do, and this was suggested by Jacques Cartier on Twitter. I think the league needs to be more involved in the finances of all the teams. I don't think we need to go full MLS. I don't think you need one part owning nine parts. I don't mind it either, though. I don't hate it either, but I think that's, that's a pretty dramatic swing across the CFL right now. I think the first well, it, step the, it wouldn't get done probably till like the 2023 season or something but yeah. Right. It would take it would take a while, but to me the easiest step you could do is every dollar you spend has to be audited and reported to the league. Then the league can find the inefficiencies. And this was Jacques' idea. You know, maybe you handle a little bit more communications of the league office, right? I I, I this is not me saying people should lose their jobs. This is me saying that, you know, maybe we don't pay ex players 200 grand a year to retire and be an ambassador for the Rough Riders when they're in the Hall of Fame as a BC Lion. As a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Maybe when the league gets their hands on that, they go, holy shit, our salary cap is $5 million and these teams are spending $4 million on basically nothing. That's what the league needs to do. That's how you fix the problem. It's just, it's, it's, and, and the tell to me that there's something a little kinky with these administration numbers is the fact that the bombers hide theirs. They didn't used to. I can't find their old annual reports, but I always remember looking back at those numbers because you and I, me being a numbers nerd, we've talked about this a few times. Mm-hmm. So let's get a rollback from those guys. Let's cut some of the ex-players off the teat of the team when the guy's putting their asses, bodies, and minds on the line every single week for your entertainment are being... At a salary that, for many of them, is roughly what most of us on average are probably making. I hate to say, I, I I do very well professionally... I make more than a lot of CFL players, and that doesn't make any sense to me. Hmm. I sit in a chair. <laughs> I'm not shortening my life taking hit after hit after hit. I don't know. Sitting's the new smoking, they say. Yeah, they really do. <laughs> Since the pandemic began, I'm a little hungover a lot of days, so I do a lot more sitting. I should do more walking, but I'll wait till I have my COVID vaccine. It just... It, 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 it boggles my mind that they're, that teams are spending like drunken sailors on administration and hiding these costs for yeah. about the same number that they're that they're paying the players. Oh, for sure. And we're on the same page there. And I think the salary 
the salary cap isn't really reflective of the full scope of salaries. We've even heard of people talk about this where they should release the full number of how much they're paying on salaries just for the sake of the PR of the league so they don't quite look as cheap right. because there's all kinds of guys on practice squads and in injury reserve and all these kinds of things that don't count cast against the cap that are still getting paid. Right. So it bumps it up. Like on average, I think teams generally spend about $6 million a year just on salaries, which is well, well above what the cap is. Right, right, exactly, and and a lot of these guys get housing allowances and 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 bonuses and a lot know, of that always... stuff, yeah, a lot of that's built into their contracts and then is accounted for in the cap. Right, so. right, which is why when you see the dunk bomb that, or or the Hodge, Hodge, the Hodge hammer. Oh, you beat me to something way better. I had nothing good. I'm glad you did. I was going to say the Hodge hot cake because hot cakes are delicious, uh, especially with some real maple syrup on there. Um, so when you have a, a dunk bomb or a delicious Hodge hot cake. Try saying that ten times fast. No thanks. All right. Um, <laughs> you see those numbers, and you're right; those are all counted for the caps. Everything you and I are talking about is that famous. It's just a fancier way of doing the Cavus Reed envelope money, or the money that you know the. What was it like? Anthony Calvillo was on the books for like three hundred k, two fifty k for years in Montreal. Right. But everyone knew in total he was probably getting about a million bucks a year. Yep. Yep, the old speaker fees and all that kind of stuff. and Yeah, and to me, don't ask the players to cut the money that goes into their checking accounts. Especially when, like, and let's talk bigger picture here. When yeah. a lot of these guys, and like, you know, like Mike Riley and Bo Levi Mitchell and even Cody Fajardo, can, they can stomach these cuts and they'd be fine. Right. But a lot of these guys come up from the United States. Right. And they're, especially a lot of the young rookies, younger players, are going to come in here. And they're coming in to make 65000 Canadian. Right. And then they get to go back in the States in the offseason. And that cuts off, you know, whatever the exchange rate happens to be at the time. That takes that cuts off a pretty good percent. Then you want another 20% taken off on top of that. On top of the fact that a lot of these guys didn't get paid really for the last year. Some of them were lucky to get to the CEWS. Not everyone did, though. And so now, and I understand that, you know, they'll always find someone else to play. Or if you really want to play, you'll do it. And maybe they're... Maybe a lot of guys will want to do it just because they want to play and they want the film and they want to get back to the NFL. That's right. fine. More power to them. There's a lot of guys who probably, though, really want to need the money. And right. to ask them to put their bodies on the line and potentially, you know, their career on the line for, I don't want to do the math here right now, what taking 20% plus the exchange rate probably brings you down into like the 40K range. Uh, yeah, I think I was, uh, I was buying some stonks today and my stonk exchange rate to the U S dollars was 27%. Yeah. So already you're losing, oh God, uh, you know, you're right. You're closer to 30%. You're almost losing half your salary by the time it's the cut followed by the cut followed by the exchange rate plus taxes. So really right. you're, you're going home with almost essentially nothing for, six months work where you may or your body may or may not be destroyed at the end of it. Right. And so, yeah. And you may find guys be willing to willing to do that, but what are you going to find the right guys willing to do that to make the product entertaining at a certain point? And this goes back to um, a great podcast. that was released on three down nation earlier this week. Great debate between uh, Dave Naylor and of so course, good. John Hodge, uh, well-respected debate, really fun to listen to just two guys who actually really respect each other. Clearly. Um, was talking on different sides of the uh, the line about this, basically. And right. so, and it came down to the point that Dave Naylor brought up, which was that he talked to a former owner who 
broke it down as they pay people too much and he singled out players and then everybody and then coaches. And I don't think that order is any accident. And yeah, maybe you pay everyone overall too much, but to single out the players first to me is a joke because they are the product. And as we've seen from the piece on over the weekend from Hodge about, you know, sort of the business model and the revenues of the league, the percentage of overall revenue that goes to the player in the C in the CFL it's actually gone down since 1976. It's mm-hmm. gone from like 50% down to like 30% or something. Right. So the fact that you have all this revenue that is in some form or another, whether you believe it's quadrupled, tripled, doubled, depending on what you think sponsorships were in the 70s compared to now, I don't know. That's basically seems to be the stickling point about how much revenue in real dollars from then to now has really changed. Mm-hmm. It still produced far more than it did then. So, really, I mean, and again, I can understand that maybe, okay, we, if there, we start games without fans in the stands and we are bringing essentially no revenue per game, okay, maybe we, if the players understand what the league is going through and the players can see, frankly, I think the players almost need to see the books at this point to make sure that this is not bullshit and that the lead, the teams are doing everything they can to make sure that their expenses are all in line and say, okay, we're not going to take 20, but let's talk. And maybe right. there's something there. And I mean, that's that's basically the only thing. If Otherwise, if I'm the players, I think this is an opportunity for you to finally say, stuff it. Absolutely. And the players' initial reaction should be, stuff it. Because the players have been asking, remember, I think it was the last Ryder training camp you and I worked together. Mm-hmm. That, remember Ricky Foley's epic rant at the end of it? That we were basically both writing a BS fluff piece about, oh, Saskatoon is great, but Saskatoon is such a good time. Oh, my God, bikes. It's awesome. You might have been then, that. I don't think I was. But anyway. uh, I probably was because I was usually <laughs> pretty lazy. Yeah, you were You were doing the real pieces. Yeah. I was writing for the shittiest web page you've ever seen, so I did not care. Um, <laughs> but a big part of that was that Ricky Foley going the F off and basically saying, show us the books. Like, you say you're losing all this money, and again, like, the teams that do show their books, like, again, I ha- I have on my laptop right now, I have the Bombers financial reports up right now. And, and as we know, within those reports, there's a lot of money that get moves around weirdly, and they get they get less and less detailed every single year. And, Such as Winnipeg's. Yes, and in fairness to these clubs... In fairness to these clubs, these public clubs, they are basically not allowed to amass profit as nonprofit organizations. Right. And so when they're bringing in, in the case, you know, the 20, 30, 40 million dollars a year, each of them respectively, they have to spend it somewhere. So that's right. basically what they do is, and I remember Haji said this on the podcast, it was basically, oh, in Edmonton, it costs, you know, 30 million dollars to run a team. And in Winnipeg, it costs 35 million dollars. And in Saskatchewan, it costs 40 million because that's the money that comes in and they have to spend it. Yeah, you, you can't put that in reserve so, fund because you are yeah. a nonprofit. No, so there's a little bit of one, but you can't build that forever because then it just doesn't look good. If the riders are privately owned, some guy's banking 20 mil a year and he's happy. <laughs> yeah, you're certainly right. And now here's the crazy thing. Just look at these numbers. The salary cap for the players, $5.2 million last year. Something like that, 5.2-ish. Football operations, $12 million were spent by Winnipeg Blue Bombers in 2019. That means you're spending $7 million. You're spending more than your salaries on your scouts, on your travel, on your... And again, like these guys should be treated like pros and travel as yep. such, but... Not, not, not to say that that money wasn't well spent, but... 
No, but you still, your cap's five point two million dollars. You're spending twelve million dollars. There's probably no other sport in no other sports league, at least in North America, that spends more on their sport upside than their player salaries. Absolutely not. Like again, you look at the NHL. We know the the, the salary cap's eighty three million dollars, and now that they're starting to report coaches' salaries, the high end coaches are three or four million bucks. Yeah, that would be like the C. Okay, your high water mark for your players is your Bo Levi Mitchell's Mike Riley's at three quarters of a million dollars. That's the equivalent of paying your coaches 75 grand a year. That's not happening in the CFL. No. Like there needs, there needs to be, and I am not slagging on the job, the time, the commitment from the coaches. No. And their, 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 their salaries are capped too now. So. Exactly. But on the same note, like Ricky Foley said all those years ago, Open up the books. Show us where every dollar goes, and then we'll come to the table. And this should be the moment that the players do it. Because let's face it, the players are about to have another option. Yeah. The players, finally to a degree, are starting to realize because the the PA isn't staffed by an old boys Canadian club that all will be rich no matter what. They need to, to grab the league by the short and curlies and go... Show us the books, and then we'll talk. Absolutely because agreed. I think it would be an ugly look for all the teams if you saw where every dollar went. Yeah, and so either two things will come with that. Either A, the league will be proven right, and everyone will understand where the league is actually at, and it'll be okay. Sacrifices have to be made by everyone to make sure that this gets on the field. Or, oh, look, these, te- these private teams have been doing a lot of creative accounting over the years. 100% there. If you're if you're MLSE, now again the, the and the, and the have... stamps are in the same boat. Except yes. they, except they probably except they actually bring in revenue. Right, exactly. The stamps are at, at, at the worst from what I've heard at worst the stamps before creative accounting are, you know, making a little bit. They're not making huge money, but the thing I always go back to my time in the National Lacrosse League. The Buffalo Bandits with less fans with less, this is before the Pagulas owned the Bills. The Buffalo Bandits every year made more money than the Sabres. But they made sure none of that money showed up. That it always looked like the Bandits were losing money and the Sabres were making money. So you're right, that is happening, right? And it's, you know that's going on, the creative accounting to cry poor, and, and you're not getting, and okay, if you want to be creative, you want to use that accounting to cry poor. This goes back to a point that, that Haji made in his great podcast with Naylor. If you want to use us to basically bury your other losses, at least give us some love. Hmm. At least let's, like, tweet the Raptors who have that. The Raptors are basically the fan base you want right now in professional sports. Yeah. Young, diverse. That's that's affluent. That's what you want. Tweet it out. Let's go Argos. The Flames. Yeah, the Flames What's do a little bit more than the stamp. The, they do. The Flames do a little bit more with the stamps and the Roughnecks they, they, and the. They or, do. And sorry, the Hitmen. Sorry, I was thinking of the junior team. Right, right, right. Which, which also, sorry, as an aside, <laughs> it's funny we're all slagging on the CFL for attendance, which has been fairly strong attendance-wise. Did you see the tweet by Football Canada's Jim Mullen the other day? Which one? Uh, about attendance that he said. This sport is so worried because attendance is down 30% across the board. No, I didn't see that one. Um, it wasn't about football. It was about the Western Hockey League. 
Oh yeah, yeah. Junior hockey's dying. Right. And yet we're all sitting here saying we're all sitting here shitting on the CFL and making it seem like an inferior product when really and and, and I, th- I think junior hockey is a really strong comparison here. Not not to like belittle the CFL's prominence in pro sports or anything like that, but in just in terms of business, because right. I think for a number of years now junior hockey's kind of suffered a little bit like the CFL has, where people are only interested in the top product, in the right. flashiest product, in sort of the big league product, quote unquote. That's the NHL. Right. So what you're seeing is junior hockey has kind of fallen off the map in a lot of places. And strangely, though, and this is one point that I, I will give to Naylor a little bit, is he says, well, if the CFL is doing okay, why haven't franchise values followed? And I'm like, you know what? Fair point. That, there was, was, something that was really good. Yeah, that, That's a completely fair point. Though I will argue to a degree that not making your business enticing for other rich people to buy is not necessarily a problem with revenue. It's a problem with, again, speaks to the league's marketing and overall image and that sort of thing more so than the actual dollars coming in. But regardless... It's a fair point. But but but, on but, the but same at note. the same time, junior hockey teams cry poor every year. Junior hockey teams talk about how none of them make money. Their values still seem to be going up. The Blades just sold for six million dollars a few years ago. Yeah. Now now though to to that point, to your point to Naylor's point. Mm-hmm. With the franchise values, the only teams that ever seem to be for sale are the teams that aren't good at making money. It's your and and, Montreal... and, and, and in, well, and let's talk about two of them specifically. Though there was a time before David Braley where the BC Lions weren't bad at making money; they had no. pretty good attendance. Yes, and and, then, the, and and then the Montreal Alouettes. While and this is to me a Montreal thing more so than a CFL or anything like that. Is unless you are the Montreal Canadiens, and even them to a degree, Montreal likes to support teams that win. And the yes. Alouettes went through like fifteen years being complete crap. So yes. I don't blame anyone for not coming to those games anymore well, and, when you and, didn't and, know who the hell the quarterback was week to week. Well, in complete crap on top of having one of the least team-friendly deals on a stadium you'll ever see in professional sports. Yeah. That you can only play during certain times because you're on campus, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but here's here's the other thing. That so I, so I, don't, I don't think either of those markets are lost. I think especially since we've seen Montreal kind of ticking up a little bit at the end of 2019. So, yeah, with for, so for them, 2020, I feel real bad for them. That they didn't get to build off of that. They would be the number one hard, hardest hit from 2020. Now, to Naylor's point, though, about franchise values, mm-hmm. what do the Saskatchewan Rough Riders sell, sell for today if they go on the open market? Oh, God. What do the Winnipeg Blue Bombers sell for on the open market today? The Edmonton football team? Mm-hmm. Even, I would say, the Calgary Stampeders. Yeah. To well, me, the riders. Are... Well, the rider. I I haven't seen the numbers in a while. I haven't seen the reports list in a while. But for the longest time, the riders were the number three sports brand behind the Leafs and the Habs in Canada. Right. So the only teams that's that'd be like judging the NHL on the lack of of, of growth in the price of the Florida Panthers. Yeah. You know. Or, Naylor... or and, and this is the point I saw. It came up in our group chat, and it came up from some other people too. I want to make sure I give proper credit here, but it's basically. You know, there was talk on that podcast episode about, and Naylor said it before, about bankruptcies and teams, you know, sort of carrying the league. That happened in the NHL not too long ago, remember? Yeah, yeah. The Arizona Coyotes were on life support. Yeah, the Atlanta Thrashers are in Winnipeg because they were on life support. The Ottawa Senators had to be bailed out by the NHL and the Edmonton Oilers. 
Yeah. Had to be battled out by the NHL back in our youth, like 0203. I remember that. The Canadian Equalization Plan is what they called it. The NHL went to strike to have a salary cap so you could still have the Florida Panthers wait 20 years before they're finally relevant, right? So, yeah, there's been lots of bankruptcies and stuff in, in every pro sports league. Remember, do you remember, Joel, when the Minnesota Twins were almost contracted? Yeah, it was supposed to be them and the Expos. Right. They were just supposed to get rid of two franchises, which is simply unheard of. Unless you're the NFL. There's all sorts of stuff like that. The NBA. Even, how... even the NFL has seen a number of teams move in the last number of years. Now, granted, most of that stadium issues more than anything, but still. Mm-hmm. Well, you're right. But still, the, the NBA has been no model citizen. No. The NBA sees teams move left, right, and center for various reasons. So, you know, I did like a lot of Dave's points, but yep. I think a lot of them are so flawed. Like, like legitimately... I think if the writers go for sale, looking at their books and looking at the bullshit that they have to come up with to make it look like they don't make money and they still make money, it's like your tax return, right? I mean, who doesn't – everybody wants to look like they don't make any money on their tax return, just like you don't want to look like you make any money on your annual report. Um, the writers go up for sale. That's probably a 50 to $100 million price tag. Oh, at least. Like, if not more than that. The Edmonton Football Club, the same thing. The Winnipeg Blue Bombers, the exact same thing, right? So we can't judge it by franchise values and shit on the league for, you know, ownership changes and stuff like that when the things that people would line up to purchase aren't for sale. Even I would even argue that the Ottawa Red Blacks would go for $20, 30000000 million these days. Well, the Red Blacks and Hamilton probably have pretty good value. Yeah, I would say yes. so. Yes, right. They just th- You just don't see that. Mm-hmm. So, I I like that point by Naylor, but I think it's extremely flawed, and I don't think this league is in that bad of a spot. I think the players have been getting screwed for years by creative accounting, and the players need to see the books. And I have been I have been standing on that soapbox since 2011 mm-hmm. or 2013 when I got back into sports. Regardless, it's. Yep. <sighs> The players need to see the books, and you're right. I hate seeing them get hammered on to take another hit when $7 million of a $12 million football ops budget didn't go to the players. Yeah, so basically what it comes down to, I believe, the CFL has the revenue there. They just need to tweak some things to make sure that everyone at least doesn't lose piles of money, and then they can go from there. Yes. Another thing that kind of needs tweaking in the world of sports is officiating. And this isn't, oh God, me- yes. this isn't meant to, like, shit on any individual officials. They all do their best for the most part, and they work hard. Yes, absolutely. Um, but the NHL has fired one of its most controversial officials in Tim Peel. If you've ever mm-hmm. listened to the Puck Soup podcast, you understand why. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting, because he got caught on a hot mic basically saying he wanted to call a penalty against Nashville. Right. And there was an interesting interview with Matt Duchesne on the ESPN radio station in the area, uh, this morning, on Wednesday morning, saying that, I guess, yeah, he was talking to Philip Forsberg about that, and he told the bench as well. So, I mean, <laughs> that's kind of shady. But but the thing is, this stuff goes on all the time, right. especially in the world of hockey. Oh, God. Oh, my God. Don't get me started on hockey refs. I used to be one. Yeah. And I, I think the whole thing comes down to what needs to happen from this, because it's easy to fire a guy who's a month away from retirement anyway, Right. For getting caught with a hot mic in a spot. Right. But 
is this actually going to produce change? Is really what I, mean, I think, and I give a lot of hockey fans a lot of credit, despite their dislike of Tim Peel, they've all come out pretty much from basically in consensus I've seen, okay, but where are you going with this? And that's what everyone yes. really wants to know. And there's a lot of debates on both sides of this. Some people are saying it's always been like this and so it's how it's going to be. A lot of people are saying, well, why does it always have to be this way? Why do referees have to quote-unquote manage the game and do certain things like that at that professional level rather than just calling the rule book as it's intended to be called? Right. Now, and a bit of my background for first time, long times. Um, I actually was, I've refereed, uh, triple a midget hockey. I had my level four out of like, so when I was refereeing level six is like international, you're getting ready to go to the NHL, WHL, stuff like that. I was a level four is where I peaked out at. Right. So I, I do have some experience, you know, at some fairly high levels of hockey officiating. Um, as an aside, hockey officials are an entirely different breed, but, um, (sighs) And that speaks to the to, to touch on it quickly. I think that speaks to the culture of hockey. I don't think that Tim Peel was looking for a makeup call. I think somebody pissed Tim Peel off, and he wanted to bury somebody. Because let's face it, out of all the sports, hockey officials probably take the most BS from coaches and players out of any of the major sports. Let's that, that's a culture thing that goes all the way down to the time I was tossing tossing assholes out of games back when I was refing peewee games, peewee double-A games in Lloyd Minster for a fun Sunday afternoon, tossing both coaches, right? Um, the thing I, I find, the difference between hockey officials and football officials, and I, I've never been a football official. I've spent a good amount of time around them. I used to actually attend the officiating course when I was doing play-by-play because I wanted to understand the rules, and and I talked to these guys post-game, and I still have some really good friends that are that are football officials and one thing i will say about football is you know anybody can throw the flag anybody can see something and throw a flag football officials have a team mentality while hockey officials have the me 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 i honest to god believe when a call is missed in football it's because the call was missed because of human error not because somebody's sitting there going I'm going to put my whistle in my pocket because it's a one-goal game with 10 minutes left in the third and you can get away with murder. Or suddenly it's a playoff game. Right, exactly. Like, And and the funniest thing is, Joel, that's taught in Hockey Canada camps. Oh, I, 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 I believe it. Like, we, we've seen it in the NHL in the past where right. they've wanted crackdowns on their on things and officials have done it. So there's no way the officials have come up come up with their sort of Makeup, you know, their whole schemes of makeup calls and putting the whistles away at certain times and all that on their own, and the league has just gone on along with it. Right, right. And and it's funny, and the interesting point that it was Elliot Freeman that brought it up about hockey, and this ties into football too, because the Canadian government is finally kind of waking up and basically going, hey, we should get in on the sports betting game. Mm-hmm. A lot of dough there. There's a ton of dough there. God knows I lost a bunch of money on the Briar. <laughs> okay Colin paid for some drinks we're all we're all fair now um but but I think if you want to be taken seriously you can't even have the slightest perception that you're managing the game that you're ignoring things if you want gambling to take off and this is more a cautionary tale for football I would say that you know what let's just keep doing what we're doing let's get better at what we're doing I think the mistakes that CFL officials make are more related to the fact that they can't they have to have a full-time job. The CFL does not pay enough. And, you know, let's take some of that $4 million bullshit money and let's maybe pay these guys 
a decent to good living to be full-time football officials. And let's not let this creep in that, oh, I have to control a game. I maybe have to bury this flag. I'm intimidated, something like that. Like, let's let's pay these guys, you know, six figures. I'm not saying high six figures. I'm saying, you know, pay these guys more than your average car salesman and go ahead and let them be good and not let this NHL mentality of, of, of makeup calls and stuff. That's always going to happen because I can I can tell you. I've blown a call or two. I've blown lots of calls in my life. And it's weird, Joel. It's almost it's almost human nature that when you know you blew a call, you get this feeling of the pit of your stomach that goes, shit. Yeah, that's fair. Yep. I gotta make this up. I got I gotta make this right somehow. It's almost the Canadian in you. I have to correct my mistake somehow. And you do that by maybe calling something on the other side. So again, thankfully, we talk about football where, you know, it, it might be a questionable holding call at, you know, your own 40-yard line or something like that on second down. So, um, but I am a firm believer in call it by the book, don't leave it to human error, and let's go. Yeah, Things but, will still be missed, but let's go. Yeah, Matt Duchesne essentially said that on ESPN Radio. He was like, you know, the rules are there. They want to be, we just want the game to be called. And he's like, why should a, why should one team be punished because the other team can't stay out of the box? When, right. you, when you get into the even up calls, just to make sure that the teams both have sort of an equal number of power plays. Right, right. Imagine, imagine if they called called the NHL rule book like they should in Connor McJesus. Yeah. Like like getting hacked and stuff. But I do find it interesting, Joel. As we're recording this, I've got the uh, the Jets and Vancouver game on on silent, and uh, while we're doing this, there have been like in the second period, I believe there were six power plays for the two teams. So you almost wonder if something wasn't sent to the officials like, hey, guys, remember we were doing 13 power plays a game because we actually called the rule book? Let's get back to that. Mm -hmm. So I just I, uh, I I'm well, just, and, I'm, and I think and I think nothing showcases more sort of the differences and how certain leagues take this seriously and support and the CFL does it. Then if you look at the NFL, if right. you look at the NFL just this past year in the playoffs, I think it was blatantly obvious that for some reason, I don't think it came down from anywhere, it was just for some reason, in both the NFC and the AFC Championship game, both sets of officials decided to essentially just watch the game. Oh, yeah, you could get away with murder those games. It was weird. There, there were, there were literally a ton of holding calls, especially in the NFC Championship game, like defensive holding that could have changed that whole game and sent the Packers to the Super Bowl instead. Yes. Regardless. And then the next week, or two weeks later, clearly the riot act was read, because the Super Bowl was officiated very differently than those two games were. So that, and that's what it comes down to. It comes down to, you know, leadership from the league saying this is the standard on how our games are going to be officiated. And that's what the NHL has to change. And that's what the CFL has to keep in mind if they're going to get into gambling. And, and I think I think the CFL, maybe it's just me giving giving too much credit because... I, I think CFL refs do a very good job, and I, I don't think there's anything nefarious going on. I don't think the league's telling them specifically no. to do anything. Maybe offensive holding, but I think that's just kind of a football thing in general, kind of a wink, wink, nudge, nudge, to right, allow right. for more offense. But there's nothing, there's nothing super above, or, or super obvious, or super terrible about that. Quite frankly, well, well, and I, I think it still goes back to, especially if you're going to have gambling on these games, like pay these guys to be full-time officials like i have two i would two friends of mine 
one of one of whom is a full-time CFL official. The other one worked the first nine games, I want to say. So they do a cut after a certain amount of games in the CFL that, you know, your first year you get to come in, you get to work X amount of games. You know, you might be a reserve official. Then we want you to go back and do some more U sports and stuff with big responsibilities, right? Mm-hmm. So I have two friends of mine that do that. They both still work full-time jobs. Yeah. And kudos to them to take the time and 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 watch video and and work other games and perfect their craft. Like I have a ton of respect for those guys able to do that. I can barely, you know, work one job, never mind two and stay in shape cuz <laughs> I'm a bit of a fat mess these days. Um so I I think the CFL before this becomes an issue and again, you're always going to have human error. Oh, yeah. And I, I think a part of it, too, is maybe the idea of the makeup call slowly disappears as we learn to accept human error more in officiating. And, right, and that, right. that's not to say if you're a fan of the game, don't boo, don't, go, don't get mad about it. But once the game's over, just flush it and move on. Right, exactly. And, and, and don't hate the best official in the league because sometimes he doesn't say procedure right. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill.